yeah, so I just want to share a quick little testimony for two reasons. One, because testimonies are a great way to glorify God. Two, I'll explain the Band-Aid on the back of my head, which people are asking me about. So I'm like, I'll just go explain it anyways. So this past week on Tuesday, uh, I was trying to lose a little weight, so I decided to get rid of a little lipoma. It's like a benign fatty tumor. That's not actually how you lose weight. It's very unhealthy. But it was like, let's get rid of this thing. It's like, let's do it. Um, and I want to share this as a testimony because if you, if you know me well, I actually, I love visiting people who are sick in the hospitals, but I actually don't do super well in the hospitals like anymore as I've gotten older. I don't know why. I've shared this before. You might remember uh, Scott's here. Scott, remember we went to Burlington, right, to visit Keith? We were visiting a dear brother. He had like 50 or 100 like stomach surgeries. And so we go over there, and we drive like three, three and a half hours to visit Keith. And we're there to comfort. We're there to pray. We are there to support Keith, right? <laughs> so Keith explained to Scott and I, hey, this is what my surgeries were like. And, man, the room started spinning for me. I was like, oh, no. I've never had this happen before. But like, I verbalized to Scott. You probably remember. I'm like, Scott. I think I'm about to black out. And so I did. <laughs> and I wake up, and Scott's huge arms. I'm like, wow, this is nice. That's what Jody feels like. Okay. So I'm just like, okay. He caught me. I like to have fun. Uh, he caught me before I hit the ground, or I hit the ground and he caught me, but I wouldn't have known either way, right? Yeah, I caught you, Jim. Don't worry. That <laughs> trauma is normal. Uh, and then Keith then went and ministered to me. He's like, Jim, can I pray for you? Uh, can I get you some ice? I can call a nurse. And I just want to share that just to say I'm not the strongest in the hospitals. Christ is, but I'm not. So anyways, I was waiting for this minor operation on Tuesday, fourth floor of the hospital, and I was nervous. And, I, and the, the people there are amazing. We have amazing surgeons and nurses. They're incredible at the hospital. So I was just so thankful to be there. Uh, but they were really busy, so I was waiting for like an hour and a half in a gown. And I was getting anxious. I was getting nervous because I'm just there sitting in a gown. And I don't know, I feel kind of vulnerable. And I'm just like, don't pass out. Don't pass out. You know, that kind of stuff. That's all I'm thinking about is passing out. But it was so cool. The testimony is the Lord, the first person that came in the room to say hi to me after a while was a lady named Miriam from the country of Egypt. I found out she was a Christian, and she's like, I love praying with patience. Isn't this so cool? So the first person. And she's like, if they're wanting it, I'm like, you can pray all day and night for this man right here. You know, He needs some prayer. You know, I've been here by myself. And so anyways, I just want to testify, give glory to God. How cool is that, right? First person, God brings a Christian from Egypt who's like, yeah, I love to pray. So I just want to give glory to God as I'm starting and let you know I have a little Band-Aid on the back of my head. So it was an exploratory surgery for intelligent life, and they didn't find any. And I'm the one preaching. And you're like, oh, man, is there another church we can go to? Stay. We're going to look at God's word. All right. So we're going to be talking about today wisdom from above. We'll be in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And specifically, the main focus is wisdom, not like a theoretical wisdom, but wisdom applied in a way that impacts our life and our words. And is it motivated essentially from a place of humility before God and others, or is it motivated in a way that it's all about pride? It's about me. I want God to serve me, and I want other people to recognize me. And James is going to contrast what he calls wisdom from above and wisdom from below. Whew. I tell you what, when it comes to pride, we can make a lot of stupid decisions, amen? A lot of stupid decisions. I've shared this years ago. I'll share it again. But I was, I was thinking about this passage. The Lord reminded me of a time when I was younger. I believe I was like five. And uh, I don't know what happened here, but I just went downhill fast when it came to sinning as a five-year-old. Who would have thought? I literally became a liar and a thief within like, I don't know, a couple hours. And technically, I was a, leaf, a thief before a liar. What happened was my friend Joy, we were hanging out with cousins. Our friends were like cousins. And she had this delicious bubble gum. 
like bubbly-licious bubblegum. You know what I'm talking about? Like the one that was full of sugar. I was growing up on kale and cashew, so I was like skinny and unhappy. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I had a great upbringing. But, you know, I, we didn't normally have really delicious, like unhealthy, chemically created, organic, you know, bubblegum. And so I was so excited. So she shared it with everybody. Here's the bubblegum, bubblegum. She's so generous, you know. You could even ask for another one if you wanted. So I tasted this bubblegum. It hit, it hit my taste buds. I just went nuts. I'm like, I am hooked on chemical-based sugars. So I enjoyed it so much. Unfortunately, I wanted some more bubblegum. But I didn't go up to Joy and ask her for it. I started to feel like I deserve bubblegum. And then I'm like, I'm upset that she has bubblegum, and I don't have bubblegum. How come I don't have more bubblegum in my life, right? Everyone's been there. Why is there not more bubblegum in my life, God? I'm not even thankful, even though it was given as a gift. So what I decided to do, this is not my normal MO, you know, I decided while she's playing outside with other friends, I'm going to go into the place she's staying and steal another thing of bubblegum. Is this a good idea? No, this is not good. You can see sin, even as a young age, is crouchy wanting to rule my heart. And I was letting it go to the full extent with my pride because I cared more about what I wanted than what she wanted. So I became a thief. I stole it. And then Joy, she's going through bubblegum. She's like, you know, it's kids. You're looking through. Hey, there's, there's now only three, and there used to be four. So she just interrogates all of us in a row. It was like a movie scene, right? So it's kind of like, did you do it? Did you do it? I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I think she knew it was me from the get-go, but she was very gracious. And I literally stole something, and then I lied about it, all for a piece of bubblegum. And I was thinking about that. I was like, how many times have we made decisions, right? Maybe it's a lot more bigger than bubblegum, but it comes from the heart, amen? And we're going to look at things that God's talking about the heart. Sometimes we want to think, well, Jim, that doesn't really matter. That seems like a small thief and like a white lie. And we can try to, like, minimize it. I try to do that for years, minimize those sins. Because I was thinking, like, ah, Jesus died for real sins, not like bubblegum-level sins. But Jesus died for our sins that stem from the heart, amen? And he takes them quite seriously. And so we, I want to look at that as we're looking at bitter uh, jealousy and selfish ambition today. It's easier to point at other people. Oh, yeah, I know someone that's bitterly jealous and selfishly ambitious, right? <laughs> but another thing, like, Lord, would you check my heart? And that's why I'm praying our posture would be, Lord, would you check my heart? God, if there's anything in there, I want to I give it to you and follow after. So let's look at the scripture. James 3, verses 13 to 18. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but it is, but it, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's take a moment to pray. God, I just thank you so much for your word. God, so glad we get to look at it today. So glad that the small groups have been looking at this during the week. And Lord, I just pray that you would just show in our hearts how we can look more like Jesus, God. Uh, Lord, I pray that we could grow together today in a way that would honor you and glorify you and see your name proclaimed all over the place. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you, you've already studied this. Um, uh, Chris, my wife Crystal and I, we have our small group on Monday, and I tell you what, if you're not in a small group and you're looking to join one, I just make a plug. Get in it. The discussion is good. Can I get an amen from anyone in a small group? Is it good? Oh, yeah, right. There's a lot, there's a lot of people for the size church. There's a huge percentage of us in small groups. It's just great. 
So I'm going to just be talking about stuff that you probably already discussed. Um, but I have to do that because I'm up here. So we're going to look at it. So first, let's look at verse 13. It's talking about who is wise and understanding among you. And the way we're looking at the scripture, we didn't read or we didn't preach, I guess, last Sunday. The part where it's talking about the, the tongue. It's talking about those who are teachers got to be really thoughtful about what they're saying. Now, in this part of the section, that kind of theme of, like, someone who's an expert, someone who's a teacher, specifically who is wise and understanding, James is focusing on those who would be, like, religious teachers, the Pharisees, the scribes. If you think you're wise, you're an expert in a certain area, if that's the case, then by your good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, the word meekness is also sometimes translated in humility. Some other translations uses gentleness. But this idea that when it comes to wisdom, not like a theoretical, we're just going to talk about numbers and education or things in the world, but literally living out a life that honors and glorifies God, practical, hands-on wisdom, it needs to be from a posture of humility and not from a place of selfish ambition. This word meekness, humility, gentleness, it's this idea of a very strong force or necessarily a person or in this use of the word, it also could be used actually to talk about horses that are broken and tamed and then they have a small bit or bridle that they can be controlled with. So this idea of having restrained someone who has the ability to maybe do more, has the ability to say more, maybe even has more power in some ways is showing restraint, is showing gentleness, showing meekness, showing humility in the way they live their lives. I don't know about you, but we don't need more arrogant people in the world, amen? But we do need people that reflect Jesus in the way that we are meek and gentle and walk in a place of humility. And James is contrasting that, that this posture of just coming to wisdom with a practical application of humility, that it's not about me. It's about glorifying God and loving others. It's about the royal law being fulfilled, as Aaron's been talking about. It's a place that comes from humility. The beautiful thing is, that when we're in a place of humility, Scripture says God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. That's both a huge blessing and a huge warning, right? God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. Now, when we talk about pride in just a moment in verse 14 and 15, we can look at just a little bit of pride, a little bit, I'm going to detach myself from doing life apart from God. It's going from humility, God, I am completely dependent on you. We were singing about that today. Lord, I need you. I surrender. That all screams out humility, dependency. I can't live. I can't breathe without you. Pride comes over and says, I can do life on my own. And there's a lot of examples in scriptures, right, of people trying to do life on their own, right? I think all of us have tried to do life on our own. And maybe you still are doing life on your own. I'm going to encourage you. Let us go to a posture of humility because it is a way that we can honor God and love others, and avoid the trappings of what comes with selfish ambition. So let's look at verse 14. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy, some translations use the word envy, bitter envy, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. So this idea that uh, in a gathering of Christians, right, believe it or not, sometimes we can have some bitter jealousy going on, right? <laughs> selfish ambitions. We're more concerned about our specific thought or idea being completely right with no openness or humility on being checked on. Selfish ambition is all about me. Bitter jealousy. I'm upset because my brother or sister is winning or successful in a way that I am not. You don't have to raise hands, but I know I've been jealous before. I'm sure you have too, right? 
You see someone succeeding. Man, why did they get the good grade in school and I didn't? How come they're winning on the sports team? How come they get the good job and the raise? I'm single and they're married. I'm married, but I don't have kids and I want kids. Man, how are they getting all the promotions? Right? I can go on. Jealousy gets in there. And boy, if we let jealousy grow, that bitterness, first it comes from pride, but then that jealousy just starts to grow, it can lead us to making incredibly destructive decisions. Like I just shared before, as a five-year-old, I decided to be, not really decided, I just intentionally went on a path to become a thief and a liar. And then once I was there, I was so shocked. I was like, how in the world did I get there? Well, I want to give you hope. If you've done that, there's hope, amen? You can ask for forgiveness. You can ask for repentance. That doesn't have to be the track of life you're on. You don't have to keep going down a selfish, ambitious, or bitter jealousy, just letting it grow like some kind of spiritual cancer. Because of the grace of God, there is hope. But James gives warnings to this. Do, do not live in this place of bitter jealousy or bitter envy or selfish ambition about yourself. And verse 15 explains why. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, and it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. James uses pretty strong words, doesn't he? Like, we, if, you, if you've been in the church a lot or the Bible, whatever, you, you can kind of read it and like, all right, I know, whatever. But if you think about it, like, man, like, he's not playing around. Is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Literally, like, <laughs> if you're in a place of thinking, man, I got it all together on my own, James would have a harsh word for you and for me, right? <laughs> it's like, really, you have all this wisdom by yourself, and you're doing it all apart from God, and it's all from earth and not from God, not from heaven, and it's all about you? You would classify that as being earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The father of lies is named Satan, Lucifer, the devil. Interesting thing, he knew about God. He's actually created as an angel. So it's not like God's facing like some other God version of something else. Uh, God's greater than anything. Amen? And then one of the angels, he knew God. Everybody's worshiping God. He's like, this is great. But he went to a place, selfish ambition, with bitter jealousy, I would say. I don't have a verse for it, but you can just see by his actions. He decided he didn't just want to worship God as an angel and be a servant of God. He wanted to be God. Some of us want to do that too. I want to call the shots. Not you, God. I don't want to serve you. You serve me. God, I pray only for you to do what I want when I want it. It'd be easy to be there. So what it says in Scripture is that actually God casted him out of heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him, which are now demons, all because of selfish ambition, pride, and jealousy. We can see that this kind of wisdom is not from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He continues, James says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. If you want to destroy a good friendship, just throw in some jealousy and selfish ambition, right? You want to destroy a good marriage? Oh, lots of selfish ambition with some jealousy. Am I right? You want to destroy a good church? Selfish ambition and jealousy, right? Just let it breathe. Just let it go. Throw like the miracle grow, whatever on it, and just let it prosper. It will not result in a gathering that looks anything like what Jesus is causing us to. The beautiful thing, there's a caution and a warning, James saying, but there's also hope because we don't have to stay on the same path, amen? We can repent, we can turn by the grace of God in a new direction as he strengthens us. Some examples of just jealousy gone crazy in the Bible. I was thinking of King Saul. Um, you might remember him, uh, king of Israel. Israelites wanted to look like every other nation because they just had God leading them. Um, they didn't just want God leading them. So they wanted a king like every other nation. Uh, isn't it a problem we just start looking at what other people are doing instead of what God's doing? <laughs> right? 
what is God calling you to do or me to do or whatever our church to do, right? But we can look at other people. Grass is greener over there. God, I want the green grass. Like God's like, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. He gave him a king named Saul. Now, Saul was anointed and he was serving, but selfish ambition and jealousy took over Saul's heart. And you'll see it in 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 to 9. And so what happens is there's another guy named David, the shepherd. A lot of people know David. Uh, he eventually gets anointed to become king. He takes out the Goliath, all that kind of stuff. He's then being like a victorious warrior. And he comes back in, and people start singing a song that goes straight to Saul's heart, and he lets bitter jealousy and selfish ambition grow. This is what it says. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And when the woman sang to one another as they celebrated, they said this. This is the song. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David is 10,000. You see where this is going to go, right? Saul, you've done thousands. All right. David, though, this new guy, he's not even king, 10,000. And it says in verse 8, and Saul was very angry. And this, say, this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And it says, and Saul's eyed David from that day on. Other translations say this, this way. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You see a problem happening here? Right? He was anointed king. Just serve God and serve the people, Saul. He was the tallest, the best looking out of the pick. Like, dude, you're already king. This guy's not even king. But because this guy wasn't king and people were uh, just singing songs of praise about David, he was unable to rejoice with those who were rejoicing. Instead, he was mourning with those rejoicing. Are you with me? And I tell you what, when we have a discontent heart, when we are in a place of not being thankful for what God's given us, woo, we can start reversing that. We might not be as blatant as Saul, but we can do it in our heart. You hear someone succeed, instead of rejoicing, you're like, wow. Man, ugh, I'm so happy for you. I hope that goes well. I like your Facebook post. There's actually, uh, I saw this once, an advertising thing on social media. Uh, it said it like this, like, because as you know, if you go on Facebook and Instagram, everybody has a better vacation than you ever will, so you feel miserable. So if I feel too happy, I go on social media. It always discourages me and makes me depressed. Um, but there was an advertisement <laughs> that said, stop hate liking your friend's vacation and book a vacation with us. And it's a phrase, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called hate liking. It's when you like something you hate. And I thought, you know, I bet a lot of us, myself included, probably do that in our heart. I'm so happy for you. And I hate it at the same time because it's not me. Ah, man. Hate liking things. Is that supposed to be the model of the heart for a Christian? No, not at all. That's why James is looking at the heart. There's so many outworkings of pride and selfish ambition. But when you go right to the source of the heart, God, am I in a place of humility and contentment before God that I can say thank you, God, for what you've given me and rejoice with a dear sister or brother who is succeeding in some way that I'm not? Can I genuinely say I'm happy for you? Or am I just secretly hate-liking whatever they accomplished? Saul did it pretty publicly, and he actually tried to kill David at a bunch of times. He actually goes on such a downward spiral. He, he ends up going and like to see like a witch or a sorcerer or something uh, demonically to try to get insight from dark spiritual sources instead of going to the God who anointed him as king. Saul's whole life is literally an unfortunate trajectory. 
of just going down because of selfish ambition, jealousy. Eventually, he went to earthly, then he went to demonic. And that's a, that was his life story. It's incredibly sad, but you get to see that James is making the same point, that if we're on this progression, if we're living this kind of way, don't expect to have the results that God's promising to us. One other thing I'll mention before I talk about wisdom from above uh, is the religious leaders um, who crucified Jesus. So many of us know Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins and my sins, that he might die, be raised again, and have life. And because of that, he could offer us new life. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So you know what the motivation, be obviously God's in control, but you know what the motivation is for the religious leaders that want to kill Jesus? You know what the motivation, anybody? Jealousy, you're right. Or the word envy. Like literally that was the motivation because of Jesus. Jesus is succeeding. The world has gone after him. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's helping the poor. He's befriending and loving, not encouraging them in their lifestyle, but prostitutes and tax collectors. This is the Jesus. He's a friend of sinners, and everybody's going to him. Wouldn't that be a moment to, like, kind of celebrate? Wow, God's caring for the poor that I'm not caring for? Well, <laughs> praise the Lord, you know. God's helping the outcasts. The scripture said we should help, but we don't. Wow. God's helping the people that we won't even let into the synagogue. Oh, wow, thank you, Jesus. Instead, it says in Matthew 27, 18, this is what it says. Talking about Pilate, it says, For he, Pilate, knew that it was out of envy, so maybe you said jealousy, that they had delivered him up to essentially be crucified. Envy, jealousy, it's dangerous, isn't it? Literally. You just, it takes a hold, and if it keeps growing, if you cut it off quick and repent, that's the best way to do it. You realize it? We're talking in our small group, like, what do you do when you're jealous of someone? I think it was Amy mentioned, maybe it might be good just to let them know, hey, I just want to let you know you have something really cool going in your life. I'm jealous of it, but I really want to be excited for it. <laughs> you know, just being honest or going to God in prayer. Um, I'm sure you guys have discussions in your small groups, but you don't want to let it grow. You want to confess it. So let's talk about wisdom from above. So we talk about wisdom from below. Uh, we don't want to do that one. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, but wisdom from above. And there's a bunch of descriptions, characteristics of this wisdom from above. And we're going to look at specifically the, well, I'm going to talk about the kingdom opposites. But uh, wisdom from above. So this is how James describes it. He says, wisdom from above is first pure. And then I'm going to explain the kingdom opposite. As opposed to ambition that focuses on self. So I'm going through the list. Feel free just to think about your own life and how you're acting and living or any areas that the Lord might want to just uh, encourage you to grow in or conviction, repentance, whatever. But first is pure. And it's not talking about like purity, like moral purity. It's just talking about there's no agenda to what you're doing. It's pure. Are you with me? I'm not trying to get an agenda. Because sometimes we can even do the right thing with the wrong heart. Like I don't want to do the dishes so people can cheer me on. Woo! I did the dishes once this week. I'm amazing. Well, that's nice, but it sounds like it's a lot about gym and doing the dishes, right? We can do that in a lot of things. Wisdom from above is peaceable, as opposed to bitter spirit of competitiveness and competition. And James is talking about this among Christians, that we do not want to have this kind of culture. We do not want to have this kind of church. He goes on, gentle. Wisdom from above is gentle. All the translations use considerate, as opposed to being harsh and self-centered. Open to reason, as opposed to demanding that I am right. Have you ever done that before? I've done that. Man, I'm 100% right on this. <laughs> really? 100%. Okay. That's a lot. Not open to reason. That's not the wisdom from above. That's wisdom from below. Full of mercy and good fruits. 
outworking of this is helping others as opposed to just helping myself. Wisdom from above is also impartial as opposed to just being favoring or being partial to myself. And then lastly, it's sincere. As opposed to being divided or being a hypocrite, it's genuine. It's sincere without hypocrisy. And the conclusion of this, James is saying, is that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And we had a fun question in our small group. Um, I think uh, Nick was mentioning, we're talking about peace and difference between that. What's the difference between being a making, like being a peacemaker and just, just trying to have like peace or something? I forgot how it was worded. Uh, but essentially, uh, I was shared that just because there is peace among people because they're not interacting doesn't necessarily mean there's peace. Are you with me? Right? Kind of like a Cold War situation or something. As long as everyone steps in the right place at the right time, it's like a Thanksgiving meal with all the extended family, right? What political conversations do we not bring up? Okay, we are having peace right now. Oh, don't, you know, that's a minefield. Versus making peace. Peacemakers go into situations where there is chaos and there is difficulty and there's challenge. But their goal is to do it in a posture of being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Are you with me this morning? And it's going in and doing at what all, whatever is possible to try to make peace. Now realizing that some situations, maybe the other party just doesn't want to. But at least we could say we try by the grace of God. Amen. And so if there's relationships in your family that are like a fake kind of peace, might the Lord, might encourage you to want to make peace intentionally. Go into that conversation, pray it up, maybe fasting, asking the Lord, how can I come in a place of humility to bring reconciliation, to bring healing? Potentially in our church body. Uh, we have got a great church body here. If you're visiting, this is a great place to plug in. Awesome community. But as we know, we're all, we're all people that we can sin, right? <laughs> we can all be prideful. Might there be relationships even here? The Lord's saying, hey, I want to I want to see not just, oh, we can, we can do life together as long as we sit in different rows. We sit next to each other. Uh-oh. Right? Or with the humility, you know what? If I need to apologize for something, I'm going to go apologize for it. If I need to listen, I'm going to listen. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I want to be one who is a peacemaker, not one that destroys peace. As I was thinking about all of this, there's a lot of application, obviously, for how you relate with your friends, your roommates. Those in apartments, houses, if you're married, your family, how you relate to your parents, also in the church body. But I, I was just singing and praying at the piano. I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart that sometimes we can be in a place where we are in a place as a church that sometimes we don't like to associate with other churches. <laughs> Anyone else? We might not say it. We just don't do it. And God was just convicting me and showing me, man, there's, there's a lot of wonderful churches in this area. Amen. There is. Isn't it interesting that God is coming back for a church or the church, not just one church, right? That's uncomfortable. You know, some churches, they make poor decisions or they're hurting, and it's easy to come and be like, look at this scum of the earth church. We're just so much better, right? You know, people probably could say the same thing about this church and its history, right? Depends what moment you're viewing our history. None of us are perfect, amen? Jesus even says this, and other churches are not our enemies, but he even says, Pray and bless your enemies, right? So that's the posture. Obviously, churches aren't enemies. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. How might we be able to bless those around us 
and care for those. Um, and in a moment, actually, I'm going to invite them up now. We're going to do something a little different as I'm wrapping up. We're going to invite up Aaron. going to invite up Crystal. We're going to have an opportunity just to pray a blessing over this county. Is that okay? I hope so, because that's what we're... I just really felt like the Lord's like, boy. Uh, I, and this is not just me. I've heard it from pastors here, staff. I've heard from other pastors. But there's a desire among churches, ever since I've been here for like the last 11 years, to see a move of God that was greater than one little local church doing it all. Amen? To see a move of God that no church logo could get the accomplishment or get the glory of. To see something where people who are lost and people who have lost hope, there's so much hopelessness in this area. I've served on different boards at different places, and we'll discuss stuff. And a lot of times, hopelessness is one of the biggest things. There's no hope for tomorrow. I've been in generational this or that. I'd have to, like, whatever. There's so many things up here. And I'm just thinking, man, it's going to take a whole lot of people praying, a whole lot of people repenting, a whole lot of Christians deciding, I'm going to humble myself before the Lord and turn to God. Lord, would you heal this land? Are you with me this morning? I think we got a slide I want to put up, and I'm going to jump on the piano. Uh, we can put up the first slide. So St. Lawrence County, some of you, you, you've been here longer than me, so this is nothing new to you. But for those who are you're not from here, this might be helpful. So there's 32 townships or towns or whatever you want to call them, cities in St. Lawrence County. There's around 110, technically it's 108,000 if you want the exact number uh, from 2020. But 110,000, we'll just say, people that live here. It's about maybe the same amount of cows. I don't know. I don't think so. I think we have more people than cows. I could be wrong. Can we go to the church slide and then we'll go to the song one? Sweet. So you're not going to be able to read this, but it's just kind of a visual. I asked our amazing secretary, Jody, over the last couple months, can you just compile the best you can, just churches in these 32 townships. And these are, this is not an exhaustive list. You're gonna, if you look through it, if, 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 you, if you can read it, it's small. There will be probably churches not on there. But right now there's 85 churches on this list. Isn't that pretty cool? 85. I don't know them all. I want to. I don't know them all. I just thought, hey, could we sing a song and then maybe just pray a blessing over this county? God, we want to see you move. The cool thing with a kingdom perspective, if someone comes to know Christ, at another church. Do we celebrate that or not? We celebrate it, right? The kingdom. One sheep was lost and has been found. We are going to rejoice with the angels, right? Someone's baptizing 20 people and we're baptizing one. Can we still celebrate that, right? There's churches in here that are probably a couple hundred. Those would actually be very big churches. A lot of churches are much smaller. There might be 50, 20. I know churches uh, in Colton and other places that are 10 people in a building. A lot of churches might be non-institutionalized, meaning they won't be in a traditional model church, but they're loving Jesus. But let's just say there's 10% of the county knows Jesus, and usually that's like a rough number on studies. So let's just say 11,000 people know Christ maybe in this area. There's 110,000 in this county, right? There's a lot more people that don't know Jesus all over the place. I, I just want to pray, if you would join me in a moment, we're just going to sing a song and then just pray. And the way it's going to work, we're going to sing a song, and then Aaron and I are just going to play some chord progressions. I'm just going to start singing a prayer. Crystal and Aaron want to, they can too. But as we're just praying, let's just invite God, Lord, will you just bless these churches here, your church? God, will we see a move of you? God, would you destroy the dividing walls of hostility that so easily we can build? And God, would you see a kingdom expansion of you that would only be able to be given to you as the glory. Are you with me? It's not one church scheme or strategy. It's because the Holy Spirit's moving and his people are responsive. So I'm going to ready just to sing. The song that we're going to sing is uh, Let It Rain and just to walk you through that. Can we bring up the verses on here in case you're not familiar with it? 
Um, let it rain. It just talks about not physical rain, even though that is nice depending on the farming year, but uh, that we will feel the rain of your love and we will feel the wind of the Spirit. Now the heartbeat of heaven led us here. And that's the verse. And then the chorus is let it rain, let it rain. We're talking about wisdom from above, this idea of would you open the floodgates of heaven? God, would you bring your kingdom down here in St. Lawrence County? And then he goes on, let it rain, let it rain. Very simple song. But I just wanted to sing verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And we're just going to have a little time to pray. I invite you. We'll be praying. You can be praying, sitting, standing, whatever works for you. And we're just going to uh, sing this. And then when we start praying, we'll put up the list of the churches. So let's have a moment to pray. Uh, and I'll just pray before we get into that. God, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you that there's tremendous unity when we move in humility. Help us, God, to be humble. God, help us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing within our church body, but also in other churches. And God, help us to mourn with those who are mourning, whether it's within our church body or other churches. Uh, God, we want to care well for brothers and sisters. And God, I'm excited for heaven, uh, where it says every tribe, nation, and tongue will be there worshiping around the throne. Oh, God, I, I want to be part of that, Lord. God, your word says eagerly hasten the day for your return. Uh, God, I just pray that you would move in such a way that many will come to know you, God in this area. God, that a move of you would spread and that people who are far from Jesus would know the love of Christ, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.